0: Okay, folks, uh, this is uh, Avery Lee Williams uh, coming in with a um, a more or less weekly uh, podcast. Yeah, a podcast on uh, happenings in uh, Furnace Village in the uh, late 1940s, early 1950s. And uh, I have a series of these stories that I've written, and I'm going to be reading them off and commenting on them. And uh, the first one I'm going to start with is called uh, Stock Car Racing in the uh, Furnace Village. A lot of people didn't know that... uh, uh, Stock car racing in Furnace Village, and here's how my uh, story goes. It could be that people as far away as northeastern village never knew of the wonderful years in the late '40s and early '50s that the furnace was host to some of the most colorful race car drivers in the area. Bobby Barbosa, Eddie Smith, and Hilt Nordbeck come to mind. This was a time when stock car meant just that. One took his vehicle as it came off the highway and put the old crate on a racetrack and tried to outrun and outwit other locals doing the same. Our venue was Lonsdale Road Down. Lonsdale was at first a dirt track and later with asphalt. No sooner than the rules of the track were set than drivers and their mechanics tried to doctor up their jalopies to get an edge on the competition. Race officials had a tough job trying to spot the cheating efforts. Believe it or not, the pits in the early years were in the center of the oval, making for a hazardous milieu for pit crews and idle drivers as it was for those out circling the track at the then dangerous speeds of as much as 60 miles an hour. After two or three years, the pits were removed to a safer place. The cars broke down readily and often, of course, as the pitched track raised havoc with the standard auto's configuration, which was set for flat terrain. It did not take long either to figure out that the Ford V8 engine was too quick for the other makes, such as Chevys, Plymouths, Dodges, DeSoto's, etc. Two classes were established so that Fords also ran against Fords and Others, with the notable exception of straight six-cylinder Hudsons, and uh, they they were in another class by themselves. Hudsons, for some reason, could keep up with the Fords in just about any race. Adjustments were allowed to the cars to make them more able to withstand the vigors of the small one-third-mile track. Today's stock cars show little resemblance to the originals I watched. Being a young teenager at the beginning of the races, I was not allowed in with the big guys at first, but at age 15, my neighbor, Eddie Smith, let me go into the pits as part of his crew one night. I rode all the way to the track in the race car itself, which was hauled on a trailer. The pits were still in the center of the ring, and I was a bit shaky the whole evening. Eddie, as well as most of the drivers, seemed to always fortify themselves with a little touch of the devil's brew before getting behind the wheel. As a matter of fact, the alcohol was openly consumed in the pits and possibly behind the wheel. The drivers were sort of local heroes and played the role to the hilt. I stood at the periphery of the conversations when the day after racing bragging took place. I thought they were all crazy. Hilton, Hilt. Nodbeck, was probably the most outrageous of the pilots. Smaller than his brothers, Bobby, Charlie, and Lenny, Hilt made up his slightly smaller stature by having a pugnacious and combative personality. He'd take on three other drivers at once if necessary. One time I saw him take off a tire and tube and cut his metal rim with a hacksaw, bent the metal outward to leave a jagged edge, and replaced the tube and tire. On the track, he'd pull up alongside another race car and let this jagged edge cut into his opponent's tire, blowing it out and retiring that opposition from the race. Tire irons were standard defense weapons in the pits. Hilt was suspended more than once for crazy antics. The headquarters of the race teams was the Maplewood Garage where Albert Nemai and Charlie Barbosa held sway. The cars with their bright yellow, red, or maybe purple colors stayed on display out in front of the garage all week. No sponsors' names on the sides. The maintenance of the vehicles kept drivers and the owners pretty well broke. <laughs> there were no roll bars, and some drivers had only lap seat belts. Okay, In the first year or two, even helmets were not required. Basic safety requirements quickly came into being, however. I have traveled the globe in my adult years, but as a teenager, the greatest distance I'd traveled from Easton was probably a trip to Dorchester to visit family friends. The trip to Lonsdale was my first venture out of state. I was about 13 years of age and recall picking up a few pebbles from the gravel parking lot at Lonsdale to bring home as a souvenir of that momentous trip to another state. My, how things have changed for the youth today. A couple of years later, I was befriended befriended by a never-to-be-named local lass whose oldest sister wanted to meet the famous Hilt Nordbeck. I arranged a double date for us. Hilt had a 40-something Ford sedan with straight pipes that could be heard from a half-mile away. Off we go, racing up and down the furnace's quiet seat, streets, waking the whole area. The rest of the uh, date consisted of uh, going to the Cranberry bogs near the Norton Line to uh, make out. Based on what I heard from the front seats going on, Hilt made out better than I did. And that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. I'll be back for another podcast at another time.